0: Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet.
1: But the red wolf is the only wolf that was native to just the U.S., as Chris previously described.
0: What can they teach us?
1: The final answer is that yes, they are highly intelligent right. social there you creatures. Go. I...
0: Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at AllCreaturesPod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris.
1: And I'm Angie.
0: Hey, Angie.
1: Ow, ow, ow.
0: I know, isn't that awesome? That was really awesome. I, uh, I, you know, it's growing up in California, hearing coyotes late at night, like scaring the snot out of me as a kid. Hearing that, it, it it's more beautiful with the wolf howls and the coy- If I hear a coyote, I still kind of freak out from my childhood. <laughs> but yeah, they, the wolves are just so beautiful. I, so, and at, at so me, beautiful. I don't freak. I
1: feel like they're calling me into the woods to join them or something, like a little, yeah. like a little Luna yeah. Wolf child or something.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. So today we are talking about Red Wolves and just uh, bear with me today. I am battling a horrible cold. It is fall here in New Zealand. It's cold. You know, the ho- the houses don't have very much insulation. It's just a New Zealand thing. So, uh just bear with my voice. Hopefully it doesn't sound too bad.
1: I told and, him to cut uh, out we'll to any the- any of this any of the snot rockets that he needs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to hear that. I'm we- taking l- We love you, Chris, but we don't love it when you uh, make those noises. (laughs) Uh, uh,
0: No, I'll I'll be fine. My voice is probably just a little bit deeper than normal for our late night talk about
1: red wolves. I know. I've been so anticipating this podcast about Mm -hmm. red wolves, especially because they have a really interesting conservation story that we're going to touch on. And hopefully by the end of the podcast... Everybody will be rooting for red wolves and uh, trying to figure out how to help those guys out to increase their numbers in the wild. But just in general, uh, this is our first canine species, right?
0: I know. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. I know. So I know. it's, su- it's I, um, been
1: super fun. I've been bogged down actually a lot uh, just in even reading about dog and dog behavior and mm-hmm, regular wolf mm-hmm. behavior, of, of course, uh, red wolves more more specifically, but... Because right. uh, it's like I'm, as I've been doing my research at night, I'm laying in bed next to my beautiful beast, Gypsy. <laughs> yes, she looks like a wolf. Yeah, she's She, she looks like a black a wolf. S- a red she? wolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's, yeah. She's, she's the old uh, species mutt. That is her. <laughs> yes, 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 yes.
0: Good hybrid. The I just want to say, Autumn and Katie, thank you. They contacted us. They work with Red Wolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an announcement about Autumn uh, later in the pod. But they both said, hey, you need to do Red Wolves. That put it put them right on our radar. And then they've been in the news recently.
1: Yes, yes. And also, if you stick with us, too, you're going to find out just how closely your dog is related to a Red Wolf. And yes, yes. I will answer your dying questions about whether or not. Wolves actually do howl at the moon. So stay tuned. Yes, yeah, yes, stay yes. tuned. We're gonna have a lot of fun. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully uh, Chris and I don't go too politico on you. That'll be toward the yeah, uh, towards yeah. the end of the podcast so you can uh hang it up or I guess you don't hang up podcasts right. <laughs> you turn yeah. them off I guess you
0: can speed them up yeah, yeah there, people you can, there you go people can speed up podcasts I, I do, you know, generally don't but you can so I wonder what we sound like I gotta do that and just be like <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we also have another big announcement towards the end of the pod too so big surprise for next week oh I don't uh, even so know I know what that, that
1: is so I'm gonna stay yeah, tuned yeah, yeah. I will be here <laughs> the whole podcast yes
0: you better me be. you better me be. <laughs> People don't want to hear me talking to myself. So, red wolves, smaller, thinner cousins of gray wolves. Mm -hmm. They, you know, just just to open up, critically endangered, went extinct in the wild, reintroduced in 1987, about 200 under human care right now, Mm -hmm. and less than 50 in the wild heading to extinction. So, you know, again, big shout out to zoos and conservation organizations that are that basically, they are doing what what their their mission is. They're preserving the species by keeping that safety net the because they're going to go extinct in the wild. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I, and Chris, honestly, the numbers of fifty in the wild currently, in North Carolina. I think it might be. I heard a read about numbers in forty or less than forty.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and they're and they're. Yeah. It's
1: happening right before our eyes. And so thank goodness for these, uh, yeah, these, these captive breeding centers that are doing great work and hopefully grow that wild population back up. Uh, 10 years or so ago, the wild population was in the one to 200s. I think maybe even yeah. higher than that. Yeah. So, uh, as soon as we can get to the bottom of why the numbers are declining uh, between researchers, scientists, government workers, then mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: maybe we can put some more out there. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and we'll highlight some of that towards the end because uh, some politics involved, right?
1: Mm, oh yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So to describe this animal, it, it's and again, this is where the controversy comes in because it does look like a cross between a coyote and a wolf, and so some people are arguing that it's not a true species, that it is actually just a hybrid, which is you know coyotes and wolves can breed, mm-hmm. and then that offspring would be considered a hybrid. And, you know, the one I always use is horses and donkeys. When you breed them, you get mules. Now, what's unique about that is mules cannot breed. So they cannot go on to form. They're Mm -hmm. sterile, right? So they can't reproduce. Whereas these hybrids could. But we're going to cover this in a second, a little bit more in depth of what are they really a true species on their own. Some people say they're not. So that's why they don't care. That's why they're not fighting to save them. Where other people are like, they are their own species, and we need to fight to save them. So color, they're gray, black, and color, but they have that reddish hue. Yeah, it's so like a burnt
1: orange, burnt red-ish color. Cinnamon, mm-hmm. I think of. but Oh, yeah,
0: that's a good mm-hmm, one. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, But
1: much more, very distinct looking. And then the other common gray species, at least in North America, is going to be the gray mm-hmm. wolf. And right. so... Uh, they're in between in size. A, a gray wolf is a lot larger where a red wolf is going to be between 50 and 80 pounds. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and a coyote is going to be much smaller than that. So much smaller, yeah. they're somewhere in between, that's for sure. And they definitely have d- different external features too. They have bigger pointy ears than the gray mm-hmm. wolf and or coyote.
0: Yeah, but you can see where they, they're, they're related. It's just... And so their habitat... Was historically the eastern United States. So if you look at where they ranged, it was from like halfway to Texas all the way up into New England.
1: Absolutely.
0: You know, through Illinois, Iowa, Florida, Indiana, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: all the way down in Florida, they were everywhere. Mm -hmm. But today, they're only found in, in very small parts of North Carolina. So, you know, one of the things when I was preparing for this pod and doing our research, you know, you and I talk about species in crisis all over the world. And here is one directly in our backyard Mm -hmm. in the United States that, you know, United States citizens are the reason it is declining. They're, you know, they don't have a good success story like the black-footed ferret or the California condor. This is a species that is under our watch right now. That may go extinct because people are not doing anything. And, you know, and whatever's going on the political climate over there, too. Is-
1: sure. And something to really think about, we probably should have opened with this, but the red wolf is the only wolf that was native to just the U.S., as Chris previously described. Mm-hmm. And it's also one of, if not the, most endangered species in America.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In America. Yeah, they're on their way. Yeah. So...
1: And I, it's like I knew that, but it wasn't until I really read it and really started thinking about it, too. It was such a a large predator, beautiful species, uh, so unnecessary because we've proven in the United States with good policy and good teamwork, collaborative science, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. we can take animals from the brink of extinction and have them rebound. The eagle is a primary right. example. We'll cover that. The bald eagle, we'll, we'll get to that hopefully mm-hmm. in, in the near future. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. we've done a lot with the California condors, uh, the American alligator. So we know it's possible. Uh, unfortunately, the red wolf is just not rebounding the way it should. And some of that's policy. Some of that is probably its life cycle, which we'll touch on. And then another mm-hmm, portion mm-hmm. of it might be just the fact that it sometimes is hard to reintroduce a carnivore species to the wild because uh learning how to hunt prey is such a important skill set right. that m- most of these breeding centers do actually they teach it which we talked about a little right. bit in the black ferret episode I talked with when, mm-hmm, I, when mm-hmm. I spoke with uh, Dr. Santamire about black-footed ferret reintroduction right. where you have to train them and and they work really hard to do that so yeah it's a complex issue but a lot most of their decline or one of the reasons they're not rebounding as quickly as they should in the wild is due to people. You and me, people shooting really. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yep. That's gunshots probably want to be one of the main reasons of mortality. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's, it's complex, but
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I just want to stress that why we should care about red wolves is that they have such a practical, positive role in maintaining healthy, balanced ecosystems with their predator prey relationships. They enhance our biodiversity and, We just go back to the dawn of time, man and wolf. I mean, for goodness sakes, that's where dogs came from. So. I know,
0: I know. know. And people say, you know, people are always say that that dogs are man's best friend or woman's best friend. (laughs) You know, I love our, our babies, but I would argue horses have had more of a positive influence on human evolution. And we could argue all day if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but you know, I, I gotta give well, one to, my, to those. I to say, that... My
1: husband will not let me bring the horse into the house.
0: <laughs> it's true. True. I love my dog. They're part of the family, right? <laughs> so they're like, they're like your children. Yeah. So, you know, I just gotta say that, you know, horses are up there. If it wasn't for them, we'd probably still be back throwing, you know, uh, rocks at each other and trying to hunt. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they were pretty important for for a lot of the different before the industrial revolution. But right, I do right. have to say, though, during the 2007 2008 recession, economic downturn here in the United States, one of the only growing economy economic sources was alcohol and right. pets. Those were those were yep. still making money in the tough times here in the U.S. So it goes <laughs> yeah. to show how much
0: they make us happy. Yeah,
1: like they're definitely maybe we're not their best yeah. friends, but. They are definitely our best friends, so and I think it's yeah, worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah and go the ahead. other thing too, if you don't know what a red wolf is or what it looks like, I highly recommend take, checking out our show notes. They're beautiful yeah. with that cinnamon red color, and mm-hmm. man, if you even kind of like dogs, you're you're gonna fall in love as much as I have. In yeah, love with these guys. yeah, for yeah. sure.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting wolves, and we're gonna do gray wolves within the year, I think. We we've or dogs, we've got. So much to learn about them. That's why Angie and I, before we started, we're like, okay, we got to try to keep this under <laughs> an hour. We will do our best because this could be a five-hour podcast talking about them. There's so much info, inf- not just info, but just we love them, right?
1: Well, so, wolf spark, yeah, will spark that intense human emotion. They're like symbols. Sometimes right. we fear them. Sometimes we don't like them. Sometimes we're mm-hmm. scared of them. Mm-hmm. Our curiosity and love for them runs deep, so – uh, yeah, at least, mine, yeah, at least for, mine does. So No, I think it does. I
0: think it does. I think it does. And so there's a bunch of different species of wolves, though. That's what's interesting about this. Generally. And, and I, as a scientist, you know, from what I've looked, I would say the red wolf is their own species. Canis rufus is what they're classified as. The genus is Canis, which is Dogs, they call Mm -hmm. it dogs, not your domestic dogs, just dogs in general. And there are 35 different species of wolves, foxes, and coyotes.
1: Okay, Mm -hmm.
0: so under that genus. Now, gray wolves are Canis lupus. Mm -hmm. I've got to give a shout out to if you have not seen this movie, go watch The Fantastic Mr. Fox as one of my all time favorite movies. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, Isle of Dogs is coming out in the next month or two by Wes Anderson. Fantastic Mr. Fox is just, I love it. I love it. I love it. There's like a scene in there with the gray wolf, and they're like, Canis lupus, because he calls every species by their, their species name. Uh, just a, a phenomenal movie. Please please watch that if you haven't seen it. Uh, but within Canis lupus, or gray wolves, there's many subspecies. And this is where the debate starts, right? Mm-hmm. So, there's a de- real big debate in science, which is Good and that's what i 'm going to kind of hammer home with the, with the listeners right now they're they're debating that there's there could be as many as twenty four different subspecies of of wolves, or there's only four, and the rest are their own species. so this is where the debate is so you have things like the Arctic wolf, the northwestern wolf, the great Plains wolf, the Mexican wolf, eastern timber wolf that's where one of them is a big debate. the Ethiopian wolf, which uh, you brought up to me uh, recently. So I guess how I would say is there's, it just highlights the lack of knowledge that we have and the lack of funding we have as scientists to answer these questions.
1: Yeah. I think you, that's, that's the nail on the head right there. I Mm -hmm. think a lot of it is money and not for lack of wanting to know the answer, just lack of resources to find the right answer. And there are researchers looking into this. In fact, uh, if you dive into the literature, when I, for me, I'm always trying. To, I'm not. Chris is the evolution buff. I huh. I more want to find about how they play. <laughs> right, right. The behavior, yeah. The and science h- of behavior. How how they court, and I couldn't. Huh. A lot of the articles are back and forth on this controversy because it does relate, right. I think, to policy. So it is. There's probably some funding in it for that. Uh, right. And didn't you say that there was a paper in Science just recently? Right.
0: So yeah. So just laying some of this out that. So where the debate is, some say that the red wolf is just a hybrid of the coyote and the gray wolf. And this happened in the last one to 200 years. What has happened is as we have settled North America, we have driven out top predators, grizzly bears. You know, there's still some black bears in in areas in Florida.
1: In Florida, yeah. In your
0: backyard, yeah, Mm -hmm. there's black bears.
1: But no longer...
0: Yeah, no longer brown bears, no longer wolves. So coyotes have just proliferated, and they do really well. They find coyotes in our major cities.
1: Coyotes are yeah. really adaptable to living with humans. Very Probably like similar to like a pigeon or a squirrel. Like right. they do well with humans.
0: Right. So they have done well because you've taken out these top predators. And we're going to get to taking out a top predator like a wolf. It, it, does, it does have uh, tons of consequences
1: Absolutely. for
0: the environment. So I found a paper in 2000 by Wilson and others in Canadian Journal of Zoology. They looked at maternal DNA. Their evidence suggests that red wolves and the eastern timber or Canadian wolf diverged over 300,000 years ago from coyotes and other wolves. Mm-hmm. So maternal DNA is saying this, Right. Now, the the study you just asked me about was one that just came out in Science in last Which, year.
1: For those of you that aren't familiar, and if you're not in a, mm-hmm. in a scientific research community, uh, how do I put this? I'll put in a baseball analogy to make my dad proud. Yeah. Uh, this is <laughs> like the science is like the Yankees of yeah. articles, right? Like, I mean, it's like right. M- the top dogs. Journals. Yeah. Chris is shaking his head. I think he's not a Yankees fan. I'm not a Yankees fan, but I think they have no. a pretty. Everybody knows that their top dogs are. Oh. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah <laughs> well, yeah, do you yeah, have yeah, a different yeah. analogy?
1: Yeah. let's let's. No, no, okay. you're right. right. They right. are.
0: I think your husband would have. Uh, oh, he doesn't listen to this podcast.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think he would say the Red Sox. Oh, they're having
1: know? an amazing start to this uh, 2018 baseball yeah. season. Uh, the be- okay, best okay. in franchise history. Unlike yeah, unlike uh, my yeah. tigers, my Detroit Tigers are yeah, not. <laughs>
0: so, science, yeah, I don't even go to San Diego. It's sports. Is yeah. we have the beach. So, science, yeah, science yeah, we, is like we one have of blueberries. These, <laughs> science is one of the top top journals in the world. Like it just is. And so, I just before I jump into this, I just want to say, and and we said it in the last podcast. We talked about climate change debate in science is good. Angie has said this numerous times in the podcast. As scientists we debate. It is healthy for us to debate. We need to to brainstorm and come up with different ways to do things. It's how science moves forward. Absolutely. And we argue 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 argue. You know, it's just what is what we do. But that is what moves us forward. So debate in science is good and I don't want people to think, you know, I think people that aren't in the science community they see us debating amongst ourselves, and they're like, ugh, that means it's not real, well, right? So like climate change.
1: Yeah, but I think part of the problem, it's not that the debate's not good. I think sometimes the public gets mixed messages, like, should I eat margarine mm-hmm. or shouldn't I? And yeah, that's, that's where I feel that sometimes it's hard when you – we're humans. We want a, We want a definitive answer, like, is this true? Right. And But in science, we don't even ever right. – so we don't talk in absolute truths. You'll never no, hear a scientist say, don't. like, I know for a fact that my data is X, Y, and Z.
0: I would be very skeptical if somebody said this is absolutely 100% truth.
1: Oh, yeah. That'd be horrible. As a
0: scientist, yeah. But I would say when we reach a strong consensus. Correct. Like, usually anything like over 50% or 60%. But when you have 90% of scientists that study the climate say, whoa. This is a major problem. Or like you and I are saying, and all of our friends that do a lot of this work, studying endangered species, studying the environment and saying this, we're, we're in a mass extinction event. This is not natural. It's human caused. You know, then you take notice as a scientist. And you're like, okay. The, then you start accepting some truths and go, okay, this is what this this
1: shows. Absolutely. So, so what is you know, get what the, is the evidence point yeah, it, at for the red wolves, Chris? <laughs> because I didn't have it. No, you and I, I know what I know what the um the International Union for Conservation of Nature,
0: IUCN, mm-hmm, yeah, what
1: they say, and the NCBI, GenBank, what they say. But there huh. is still debate. So what did you find? Right,
0: and, uh, Angie. So Angie and I like, you see Angie and I could debate this all day and just talk about it all day. <laughs> when you get us together, as nerds, it's forget just, about uh, it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so the debate on red wolves. So this paper in Science in 2017, and I'll read you the title. Whole genome sequence analysis shows two endemic species of North American wolf are admixtures of the coyote and Gray wolf. And basically what they said is they're, they're recent hybrids. Uh, the, the, the Canadian wolf and this red wolf. And
1: by recent, how okay, recent? So the- Chris.
0: Uh Last 100 years. Okay, very recent. That they're hybridized. Okay. Yeah, they're not their own species. Not 300,000 years ago. They're saying, we did, looked at the whole genome, like you said. We're, we're getting better at our technologies. We can do a whole genome analysis. Now, this is where it's important. And, and as a former mentor to to Angie and other grad students, you know, when I was in my scientific career, I always told my students, one study doesn't make a truth.
1: Even if it's you know, in the Yankees the- journal?
0: <laughs> yep, even if it's in nature or science, one study it's interesting, you look at the evidence and then you judge it, right? That's what we do. Because in that same journal, a few months later, there's a rebuttal. And this is where we what we do in science. And these in the rebuttal, these scientists are saying that that DNA analysis was completely flawed. Because the animals they used were not representative of their populations. And I'm just summing this up because it, I'd put you to sleep.
1: If you haven't already. (laughs) Don't worry. We are going to be talking about behavior and reproduction real soon. Yes, yes. Real soon.
0: We're going to be, I promise. (laughs) We're going to be here pretty quick. Okay. All right. So in this study, let me, let me just, where they start tearing apart is they use two animals from an area of Ontario. Which is an area that they know that the eastern and gray wolves are hybridized. So that already threw a monkey wrench into well, the results. Well, even
1: just 2 the number two, only using two subjects, for me, is a little...
0: That's a big problem, too.
1: Yeah, a red flag goes up.
0: And it's hard with the whole genome, because it is still kind of expensive. Sure. Yeah, so it's hard. To, again, that's probably another problem. You're only looking at two. You can't afford to do 10 or 20, um, and so you can't really make a definitive uh, answer. Third... They used another species that is well known to hybridize with coyotes and wolves. So you cannot say that the, this population they used wasn't a hybrid. Uh. You know. So anyways, these scientists t- tear apart this paper. The problem is, and the problem is with red wolves, is right now some politicians, who I won't name on this pod, but they use that one study to drive a political agenda and say, okay, well – Red wolves aren't their own species, let go extinct, because they're not true wolves. You know? Bam. And then that species is gone. And then you come back later and say, oops.
1: But no, stick with me. And I definitely have some of my conservation groups of the week to support have a lot of information as far as this debate. So I went a little bit more political this week. and yeah. uh, You should be able to find some good stuff about that if you have interest. in, in like, And yeah, right. why the heck aren't we saving them? Well... There's always two right. sides to every story. I, of course, am on the save them side. Uh, the final answer always. right now is just so to sum the story up is that the IUCN does claim that they're their own species, as does the mm-hmm. Gen Bank and the NCBI. So mm-hmm. at this point, they're saying the Red Wolf is its own species, that that paper has been either. Currently overturned for the most part, with some uh, some uh, because of the insufficient data or the uh, the, mm-hmm. the poor data that they provided. So another study might come out, uh, and I think that honestly some of the policies and gridlock, quote unquote, waiting for this answer, uh, which mm-hmm. is not good because
0: we don't have time.
1: We don't have time, and I mean that's where it's really sad. Uh, uh, Here in North America, we we've kind of been through this with the vaquita, uh, Mm -hmm. and granted, that's uh, more in um, in Mexico's hands. Mm -hmm. But still, Mm -hmm. we've a lot of scientists have been a part of that, and I I would just hate to lose a species in the wild because of gridlock. The debates are getting kind of nasty, Chris.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. Like this group sues
1: that group and that group sues this group. And so, uh, which is potentially necessary to get to protect this animal. But yeah, I I wish there could be more of a healthy debate.
0: Like especially conservation. Like why are we arguing if you love animals and if you really love a species, it's like, put your egos aside and do what's best for the animal. Sure. Like, it just, it's it's like, you know, in academia, people, I don't know, it's a long pod, but, you know, (laughs) do what's best for the students, do what's best for the animals, right? Well,
1: and since I I touched on it and I don't want to leave you guys hanging too much, but, I mean, basically what's happened in North Carolina and this is, it should be noted that the red wolf, when it was extinct in the wild, most of the founders of the population had been caught from the Texas area. And so since 1987, the Red Wolves have been released into northeastern North Carolina. They roam about 1.7 million acres, which is a large lot of land. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about this large space of land is it, it spans over five counties and it includes three national wild refuge, a U.S. Air Force bombing range, and then oh, wow. a good amount of private land. So the red wolf recovery program—it's unique in that it has all this land, but because some of it's federal and some of it's state and some of it's private, it takes a lot of the coordination and collaboration.
0: Well, it is messy, Angie, and it's just sad. It's just sad. It's you know, you see the politics of what's going on in the states, you know, with the EPA and all that and climate change. And mm-hmm. you know, your heart really goes out for the animals. And right. It goes and so the, and
1: huh? the people that are fighting for the red wolves, they basically be, until they're, they're guaranteed protection and others. There's other, there's other things that have worked in the past, like to help the red wolf populations climb, such as sterilizing coyotes and, uh, a few other things, of course, banning coyote hunting at nighttime, things like this, uh, that until some of those programs get reimplemented in the state, they don't want to release any more any more red wolves into the wild because you know it's not sustainable. They're just until unless they're protected by the government, the landowners, by everyone as a whole coming together. Uh, it's it's they're yeah. just gonna, you know, yeah yeah. It's look. like in it
0: in any reintroduction program, it's got to be you know you have zoos, aquariums. conservation centers that are housing these animals that are protecting them 24 seven, ensuring their genetics are, are true, all that stuff. That's great. Like that needs to go on that. I, you know, there should be no debate on that. That is critical to so many species. Now, when you go to reintroduce them, You need the locals behind
1: it. Sure, and, it won't work. Yeah, and, and I don't yeah. and I don't claim to have any of the answers. Uh, I just really started diving this debate recently for the podcast. Yeah, uh, I was slightly aware of it, but I didn't understand how intricate and complex it was.
0: Well, when you're looking at all this debate, you know, and they only live six to seven years in the wild, so you know, short hard lives
1: it, it's tough they have a tough life and when they're housed under human care they can live up to 15 years but mm-hmm. yeah when they're when they're roaming free they, there's a lot there's a lot of elements and mm-hmm. not only do they only live to be six or seven years but when they're first born they have, as pups close your mm-hmm. ears if younger kids are listening mm-hmm. but they have a over 50 percent mortality rate as pups right. i mean it's most tough. don't even make it to their first year
0: because right. it's of, tough
1: issues. So Uh, yeah, this complicates their life cycle, their generation intervals mm -hmm, as far mm -hmm, as getting the numbers mm -hmm. out there. And
0: yeah. And that's, you know, again, one of the things you and I always talk about is, you know, when they're housed under human care, they're getting free food, less stress, you know, dealing with hunting, getting injured, pup survival is way up. So, you know, it's, but it's not ideal. I mean, living in the wild obviously is ideal for all these animals. That's what we want. We just need to protect their ecosystems. And then again, we're talking about the politics, making sure that everything's set up right so that they yeah, can. Yeah, their ecosystems survive and need thrive. to
1: protect them, and then the people that live near them need to protect them.
0: Right, right. So the adults in in this, just kind of quickly some facts. They they length you know, body length fifty-three to sixty three inches. You know, or 136 to 160 centimeters, so over five feet long. Again, you you talked about their weights. Like 50 to 85 pounds is, is kind of big for them, up to 39 kilograms. Again, gray wolves are slightly longer and heavier. So they can – there's a gray wolf. I'd like to see this one up to 175
1: pounds. Oh, like, I love it. <laughs>
0: That's a big one. Yeah. That's a big one. So the red wolves are just thinner, lankier. This is what I saw one description. Now, really quick, what they eat – so these hunt mainly small mammals, rodents, my favorite raccoons. I love raccoons. <laughs> I AG. know. we got to uh, do raccoons.
1: Nutrias. Yes, yes. White-tailed deer, small. Uh,
0: Sometimes, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And interestingly enough, the red wolves will consume about two to five pounds of food per day if there's lots of prey mm-hmm. around. But they right. might travel up to 20 miles just to search out their food when in harsher times. But they don't need to eat every day. They l- no. live kind of a feast or famine lifestyle, so they might go several days without a meal. I couldn't uh, do that. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and no. then, uh, but then, then they g- will—they will gorge when they when uh, a kill is made. Right. And uh, interestingly, too, red wolves have been documented eating insects and uh, b- a little bit of berries.
0: Right. So, so you yeah, know, seed dispersal is probably something they do.
1: Now, yeah, this is... I mean, I I think of them as carnivores, but I yeah. was really interested to learn that they're opportunistic hunters, mm-hmm. and but that they yeah that they might eat like tw- not twigs and berries. <laughs> I don't right. know yeah, I,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Get my mind
1: out of the gutter. Um, yeah, right. No, but that uh, <laughs> they might eat insects and a little bit of mm-hmm. berries. So
0: right, and so again, another reason that red wolves and even gray wolves to an extent why these top predators are so important, because they keep these small mammal and deer populations in check. I just want to revisit this really quickly. I don't want to make this the longest podcast on earth. I do. You know, on earth. (laughs) I know, I know. But Angie have talked brought this up before, and I have looked into this too. Even before we started podcasting, I I looked into some of the research that's been done in Yellowstone. Just for the listeners, again, wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone uh, a number of years ago. When that happened, they completely changed the ecosystem. It's incredible what what they did. Mm -hmm. Prior, right. Because when the wolves were removed, elk really became abundant, almost went over their carrying capacity of Yellowstone. During the winter, elk ate a lot of willow, aspen, cottonwoods, young trees. And so the trees were kind of knocked down. And when they reintroduced wolves... Wolves knocked the elk population down, and these trees were able to come back and survive and thrive. Now, the scientists have said that study this, it's going to take decades to fully understand the impacts, but they know one species, again, when we talk about trickle up, trickle down, was beavers. Mm -hmm. Because beavers depend on willow during the winter and aspen and cottonwood, and now they notice there's tons more beavers in Yellowstone because the wolves have come back.
1: Right, the wolves you know? have changed the waterways.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean... Compl- the size right.
1: of the rivers yeah. and the watershed. Yeah, I mean... Nobody would have could have predicted that. No, I mean, no.
0: And so, it's, you know, it's just so mind-boggling when people are like, oh, just let them go extinct. Oh, it doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters to a lot of it species.
1: It does matter. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah.
0: So anyways, anyways, I, you know... Uh, I've got so many. So we can go on this all day. I really <laughs> want to know, Angie. You know, we, we've talked all the politics, human behavior. We love our doggies. I love wolves. So let's jump into their their structure, their their behavior.
1: I know. Look at I'm smiling. I know at the you, are, you, are, you are. You
0: are. <laughs> you are. You uh, are.
1: Well, and and here's the deal. I I we will we will revisit yeah another species of canine here real soon. In the podcast, be it wolf dog whatever, uh, Fox, but really if you own dogs or have been around dogs, I'm not going to go into all the ins and outs of behaviors cause it would just take too long. We all know that they have playful behavior, submissive behavior where they kind of cower down a little bit. They have aggressive behavior where their hackles will maybe, you know, I picture like a little toy poodle just acting like a big old tough Rottweiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean there, there's so many similarities. But what I think is, what I want to focus on is some of the differences in behavior. And that goes to how their family groups are oriented or mm-hmm. that they are they run in packs, right? Mm-hmm. We all know that yeah. wolf pack. And I like to think of my dog and my family as her little wolf pack, but it's like with humans. But in red wolves or other species of wolves, these family packs are going to usually consist of breeding pairs and offspring. And a breeding pair is typically an alpha female and an alpha male that are monogamous, and so they mate for life, Mm
0: -hmm. typically.
1: There's some outliers there. But an alpha male or female is going to lead the pack. Mm -hmm. And then there's usually a beta, which is going to be a male or female that is most likely number two in line in case Mm -hmm. something happens to the current alpha of the same gender. There's subordinates that don't really have too much of a role uh, as far as alpha, beta status. They're often considered helpers. And then there's Omega, which is the lowest-ranking wolf in the pack, probably some of the youngest ones. And so right, that- and
0: it just, they they just have such a complex social structure. And when you see – it's interesting because like you go to dog parks, right, and you mm-hmm. watch – if you really pay attention mm-hmm. to animal behavior like you do, that is – I mean, you've gotten me really interested in animal behavior, but you watch what's going on and trying to establish dominance. And there is more dominant dogs, you know, like my, uh, you know, I, I had a pit bull mix, love her to death. She was the sweetest thing on earth.
1: Gwen.
0: And yes, and she became the alpha female of the house, but she didn't want it. That's the thing. I knew she didn't want it, but she just, by hook or crook. I mean, she just ended up being the alpha female. They have and she to. Just...
1: right? They fall on the line. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. right. Because Jake passed away, and he was the alpha, and she she liked being second. So not she was beta, one.
1: and she inherited the alpha. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she
0: didn't want it. She didn't want it. I knew <laughs> I she didn't don't want blame it. Her. Yeah, I yeah, I know. Yeah, there's a lot
1: of the yeah. alphas have to do a lot of uh, maintenance of right. keeping everybody in line, and so All right. But well, they communicate this social, complex social structure through tons of be- behaviors. Uh, I won't get into all of them mm-hmm. today. Maybe put some on the show notes. But they also do it through yep. tactile or touching each other. They'll do it through chemical pheromones and help tell who is dominant. An alpha, a male, might have more testosterone, for, uh, for example. And they do it through body language So if you, that's what Chris and I have been talking a lot about. Like if you think of their face or their Mm -hmm. tail or the posture of their ears or their mouth, it communicates if they're happy, threatened, angry, depressed, anxious, and then they'll communicate a lot, especially red wolves and wolves in general through scent marks. They have extra scent glands Mm -hmm. that dogs, domesticated Mm -hmm. dogs don't typically have. And a really big one, probably my favorite one, the way we opened up the podcast is through vocalizations. That is, Mm -hmm. uh, they don't, I don't want to say that they have a language of their own. That study, I don't think has come out.
0: They definitely, I I just want to jump in. They, they definitely have a vocabulary. I I would, I would say there's, oh, it's coming off the top of my head. I forgot where I saw this, but there was a dog that knew. 200
1: words. Yes. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. That one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all this Mm -hmm. stuff, but yeah. And like, they're like,
1: (laughs) go find the,
0: find the one toy that isn't part of his, like, this is how smart they are. It was this study. I got to find it. I got to find yeah,
1: this. Yeah, no, it's a great you remember study. remember that? It was... Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, it was a, um, a uh, Australian shepherd. I forget right. the name. But yeah, I could identify like 200 words through toys. And there's debate yeah. on, is that, a, is that a real language, but it's human trained? The final answer is that, yes, they are highly intelligent right. social there creatures. I... Did a lot for to prepare for this podcast. I don't have time to get into it, but of course I asked the question: Are dogs or wolves smarter? And so I think the answer is still up for debate. What they think in, the, <laughs> of course.
0: Yes, let's put, let's put. What does that mean? Like you know, the uh, selective breeding of the pug versus the
1: wolf. Well, Chris, no, it is. It, but what, so what they're finding is, so wolves do have a physical brain size that. Is one sixth to one third larger than domestic canines. Okay. And they can do a lot. Yeah. They, I mean, they're smart critters and our dogs are obviously smart. Yeah. What yeah. the people that dive into this are trained behavioral researchers. What they've, mm-hmm. what they've kind of come to agreement on, they think wolves are smarter when it comes to wolf to wolf communication. They mm-hmm. understand that language. They've actually been able to show a friend how to get a treat out of a blocked box. With a lever, uh, okay. this kind of stuff. So they understand what, like canine communication better. What they fail is understanding human communication. So mm. you cannot house train a wolf. You should not have it for a pet. That's Mm-mm. quick. That's my quick and dirty uh, take home message. Never, never. No wolf, Even no wolf, wolf hybrid. It's goofy. Don't nope. do it. Uh, send me an email if you want to debate me. I, I, I would love to debate that, <laughs> but,
0: yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, they
1: can't, uh, but they also don't really pick up on human cues where a dog and mm-hmm. a classic study where's basically a human pointing to a treat bucket and the dog didn't know, or right. a wolf didn't know it was, and they were raised the same, didn't know what was under there, but. When the human pointed the puppy, I think they were doing this with puppy. The puppy would just go because yeah. the human pointed there. They understood yeah. a point, and the wolf had no interest in learning from the human. Didn't really understand it. Didn't try to understand it. So they think the dogs are. Yes, yeah, and it's
0: been it's been twenty five thousand years of selection.
1: Sure, absolutely. So they, mm-hmm.
0: you know, that I mean, that's the first domesticated the first domesticated animal was the sure, dog. Yeah right we or maybe the chicken is in there you know the chicken that loved you at the zoo. <laughs> no, to zoo no no
1: and he was not nice
0: <laughs> but i think no but i think the dogs are have yeah, were the first domesticated yeah and they've
1: learned they've mammal. learned to listen to us so yeah they're i mean they're both really smart creatures and interestingly enough to kind of answer one of the questions we opened with in the beginning of the podcast is that dogs and wolves are the same species
0: the scientific the scientific name of dogs is Canis lupus familiaris, whereas wolves are just Canis lupus. So dogs are really just a subspecies mm-hmm. of wolves. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's why I'm probably so passionate about this podcast this this week because I'm obviously right. very much in love with my dog. Stick with me. Let me just play you this beautiful clip of a red wolf vocalization.
0: They're different. They're they oh, are different than gray wolves. Yes.
1: Let's see so that is moose he is um, at one of the wolf conservation centers so um, that's the red wolf moose
0: oh my gosh angie I have to find this clip and I will put it on the show notes. I have to send it to you too. It's called, it was like no. dog inception. I don't know if you saw it, but it's like a string of, I would say at least six, if not more different <laughs> dogs. So it's one dog starts howling and then somebody shows that to their dog and they start howling. It's videos. So then someone shows those two and they're howling. It just keeps going back and back and back like the movie inception to I like love the seventh it. dog. Had watched all these other dogs howl. It's a chain. It is awesome. I will find it. I will find it.
1: Yeah. Well, and Chris, uh, um, a wolf howl can travel up to 10 miles in the right condition.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
1: So cool. Yeah, it's loud.
0: It's loud. It's loud. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what's the generation interval on them?
1: Chris, it's going to be about two to three years from when males and females sexually mature. And as I mentioned before, red wolves form pair bonds. They mate mm-hmm. once a year for life in February. What's really fascinating to me is it's in a, from a reproductive standpoint, but it's a little bit more from a behavior. I really took a lot of time this week in trying to wrap my head around and understand in wolf populations what is known as cooperative breeding. And this is mm-hmm. the social system that characterizes basically the male, and, the alpha male and female being the only breeding pair, and everybody else is just... Involved in being like aunties and uncles to the,
0: to yeah, the caretaking mm-hmm, to the other yeah.
1: pups until they leave the the family group and seek of their own mate, so it 's really interesting it's a lot of there's a fair amount of species that do this, and researchers believe that there's cooperative benefits such as the helpers or the non breeding animals. They have reduced predation, they have more foraging time, they have potentially even better fitness, but the costs Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. also include that they may not breed and that they spend a lot of time basically being an auntie or an uncle to other offsprings Mm -hmm. instead of finding their own mate or breeding.
0: But it's interesting that you you think about it because I'm sitting here thinking of generation intervals shorter compared to... Yeah, you know, we said blue whales were 31 mm-hmm. years, but that is not everybody breeding, especially in a big pack. It's just a male. It's just Correct. the alphas breeding. So then you only get a couple mm-hmm. pups, or three or four or five pups. Mm-hmm. Half of them don't make it. So there's your it. challenge, folks. Yeah. yeah, it's not easy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, they have a mating strategy that's known as reproductive suppression, mm. and that's where the dominant wolf. The dominant alpha suppresses the younger uh, male and female, and basically doesn't allow them to breed. And there's many reasons that they do this. Some do it through either like behavior or chemical signaling. Mm-hmm. It's so,
0: it's a fascinating phenomenon. I know I looked at some of it in elephants, you know, especially elephants housed in captivity, and we we're trying to do some research in in that area. And yeah, I mean, it, it's there's other species that. For some reason, they shut down the reproductive ability.
1: Yeah, and so they don't. And as far as we know, in wolves, and now the offspring, when they grow up to be two or three years years old, they they probably most likely will go out and try to find or make their own pack.
0: Right. Now, right.
1: for the red wolves, when you're doing that, and there's only 40 other individuals. Yeah. That's, that's tough. Th- that's not gonna happen. Uh, and yeah. they also this paper also examined that usually only four percent of the time will they actually inter interbreed with a coyote. They, that's not right. what they're trying to do. They don't want to do that. It's probably because right. their population is so low. Uh, right. So just with the male physiology, one of the interesting things about the canine... It's our first canine species, so I have, uh-huh. to, I have to talk about their penis with the males. Right. They right. actually have a bone inside their penis, which is called the baculum. And, of course, this is absent in humans, but it's in some primates, like the chimpanzee and the gorilla. And basically... Mm-hmm. What this does is this allows a male uh, to penetrate a female without actually being erect because the bone, because they have the baculum. And canines also, my first canine species, sorry, you'll have to bear with me in my cheesy reproductive uh, session, (laughs) (laughs) but I was like, oh, that's so cool. Uh, The canines participate in what is known as a copulatory tie. And so Mm -hmm. that's a fancy word for a process of sexual reproduction in canines, serves to enhance um, sperm transport. And so, Chris, backing up the bus just a little bit, uh, the female, Uh interestingly enough, comes into season or comes into heat, comes into estrus, once per season, one time per year.
0: Yeah, it's monoestrus, so... Going back to one of their challenges, yeah, if they miss it, a whole another year. It's a whole nother year, and so so that is why you're having difficulty with them not proliferating or establishing stable populations because exactly. there's so much there's so much against them. So, with the challenges that the Red Wolves are facing, what are some of the good organizations that we could look at and support?
1: This week, I chose my first organization is the Red Wolf Coalition. They can be found at www.redwolves.com, and they have a big presence on Facebook. Uh, They also have wonderful videos of red wolves if you're interested in checking out how they look, how they move, and how they sound. But the Red Wolf Coalition advocates for the long-term survival of red wolf populations by teaching about the red wolf and fostering public involvement about the red wolf and they're an organization of course found in the heart of North Carolina. So they're on the ground really trying to fight for these guys and teach people about the value of the red wolf to the ecosystem, which you and I had touched on earlier. So they do really wonderful things for the community. They recently have a scholarship program for students attending a local high school where they can be awarded this money and then help learn more about red wolves so they're they're like you had mentioned. It's all about getting the communi- community empowered, about learning why to save them, how to save them, and the Red Wolf Coalition is just a beautiful website with lots of facts and why these guys are so important.
0: Yeah, it's those are you know those are the people we need to be hitting, the, getting them web hits. Please go to their websites. Click on their videos. Yeah. Let them know you're interested. And, you know mm-hmm. if you're in that area. And I try to always let them know. Yeah.
1: yeah and I try to. Mm-hmm, I always try to pick organizations that, of course, use solid science-based information mm-hmm. about the biology uh, of the uh, endangered red wolf, and they do that, and they work with other groups and other researchers very well to try to have this great collaborations to save the mm-hmm. red wolf. Mm-hmm. So check them out, please. They've got great information. My second organization, I took it up. Uh, a notch. I went from local mm-hmm. uh, North Carolina group doing great work to fight for these guys uh, to a more national group, which is called the Defenders of Wildlife, Oh,
0: yeah.
1: And they can be found at www.defenders.org. And of course, they have a Facebook presence. Their website's beautiful. My dad I... loves them.
0: My dad always sends me links from them.
1: <laughs> well, it's really interesting, Chris. When what got me really pumped up this week is. Actually, listening to your uh, your interview with the whale conservation mm-hmm. researcher, Kim Getz. Getz yes, Dr. Getz, yep. Mm-hmm. If you have, please, guys, if you haven't listened to it, check it out. It's amazing. She's brilliant. And she kind of talks a lot about she wishes she would have had more policy and environmental kind of classes, yeah. public policy, lawmaking classes, because in the end, it all comes, to, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we can vote with our dollar and we can like. We can like stand with our voices and march together in unity and power. But at the end of the day, lawmakers—they have the final say. Yeah,
0: second. and I just want to say, you listen to my interviews, all right? Thank I you, do. Angie. Absolutely. Are you, like, okay. <laughs> I have to edit all your interviews, so I listened to them like ten times. But, oh, yeah, yay, you listen to my interviews. Yay. No, clap for Angie. Well,
1: and this one, I'm like, John, you gotta listen to this because it she yeah. makes such a valid point it's, for anybody. It does, yeah, anybody that's interested in animal biology conservation uh, yeah. even probably even like veterinarian or obviously mm-hmm. zoo. Uh, I, you need to understand policy or right. we're never going to be able to implement change. impact. Yeah, and impact. so yeah, Paul, the reason the discussion. I, mm-hmm, yeah. different discussion for a different day. But the reason I chose and got excited about the defenders for wildlife is that they're national, they're science based and they're, they, the result oriented for wildlife conservation. And they have a section mm-hmm. dedicated just to the red wolf. They, I don't know how many focal species they have. I think like ten or twelve. But the red wolf of them, obviously, is a hot topic. Is one of the ones they put a lot of money and time and energy towards. Mm -hmm. And they've been working Mm -hmm. towards the red wolf recovery since the mid nineteen eighties through education, Mm -hmm. advocacy, and by advocacy, I mean like grassroots in North Carolina all the way to the Capitol Hill. And they are one of the ones that are working on some of the uh, litigations against the Endangered Species Act, that basically Mm saying by letting. These landowners hunt coyotes and mistakenly hunt red wolves. They're violating the Endangered Species Act, right? right so right. they're part of they're part of that petition and moving forward. And so lastly, Chris, I want to give a big shout out to uh, the Endangered Wolf Center. And they're out of Eureka, Missouri. Mm-hmm. They can be found at www.endangeredwolfcenter.org. This group is mm-hmm. AZA accredited. And what the Endangered Wolf Center does is they preserve and protect. Many species of wolves, including the Mexican wolf and the red wolf and other wild canine species. They do it through careful breeding programs. They do a lot of reintroduction programs and a lot of uh, hands-on educational programs. In fact, the first pups or, I don't know, they probably weren't pups, but the first red wolves released in North Carolina back in 1987 came from the endangered wolf center so they have a just amazing amazing program their website is awesome they're part of the founding member of the red wolf ssp which is just a group that helps make sure that the genetics are as diverse mm-hmm. as possible and that's
0: the species survival and, program mm-hmm.
1: and so you can of course adopt a wolf to help sponsor make donations you can be a volunteer you they also Chris, this is Mm. right up our alley. They have video cams of of their outdoor exhibits, and last night they were like, "Oh, yeah!" Yeah, The last night, those cameras don't work at nighttime. Last night at about eleven o'clock, I saw um, it was a Mexican wolf, like moving in the shadows. Like it was cool. So I obviously I'm a dork, but. Check yeah. them out, and they also have a lot of. They have summer camps for kids. They have wine night. I, I wish cool. I lived in Missouri. I didn't know yeah. they'd ever say that, but yeah, I really do. I <laughs> this place is amazing. So on Facebook, on the web, Endangered Wolf Center, right. helping Check out red out. wolves, Mexican wolves, all the endangered, uh, all the endangered canines. So
0: right, and so that leads perfectly into my conservation tips, and basically, you know, that's the theme of this week's podcast: is get political. Mm-hmm. write your representatives on issues important to you, you know, hammer out an email, make a phone call. If your kids are interested, have them write, uh, or call, you know, if enough of us do this, hopefully our representatives will listen. I know in, in my part of the world, they do. It's a d- little bit different political system in the States. I believe they do if enough people do. And then Educate, educate, educate. That's just spread the message, spread the love. That is what Angie and I are trying to do here. So Angie, you promised. Do mm-hmm. wolves howl at the moon?
1: Well, Chris, yes, they do howl probably <laughs> when the moon's out, when the moon's not out, yeah. when the moon's half out, when it's a quarter out. Yeah. So the answer is they howl all the time to communicate many different things. But at this point, yeah. I don't think it's been scientifically proven that there's any correlation to the increase of wolf howling on a full moon.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. Just for the rest of this week, I'll let you know, we have some exciting stuff coming. Angie and I are busy bees working uh, as much as we can. For free. Yes, for free. <laughs> <laughs> We're losing money, Angie. My,
1: hu- my husband points that out on a daily basis.
0: Uh, <laughs> We're actually losing money, but it's Okay. It is worth it. It is worth it. The, I have an exciting interview coming out this week with Autumn. Uh, Lindy from the museum of life and science in North Carolina. They just had pups born. Oh
1: yes. They've been in the news. They just had some red wolf pups.
0: Yes. Yes. So I'm going to talk to her in a couple days. We will have that ready to go on Thursday. I'm excited.
1: Awesome. I didn't know that Chris. Get pictures, get details. I I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have time. You cut me off. I wasn't allowed to talk about red wolf pups. We will make sure you get all the deets from her.
0: (laughs) I didn't want a two hour (laughs) podcast. And Angie, I hope you're aware of this because you have a, a appointment with me next week. We are going to be releasing an interview with Corbin Maxey. He is like the new Jack Hanna. I, that's how I would describe it. He's yeah, been on. He's numerous... our first
1: like famous person that cares about us. Yeah, I know. So I, know. I don't even need Leonardo DiCaprio anymore. All right.
0: <laughs> is that your Corbin? Let's see. If, let's see if Corbin's going to listen. <laughs> Uh, but actually, this will get released uh, before or after the interview. But Corbin, I think you have a new uh, conservation crush. We've been talking about potentially, this. potentially, <laughs> yes.
1: Especially if he, he promotes the podcast. Otherwise, yeah. forget about it.
0: Yeah, I yeah. know he's awesome. He is amazing. So he's been on with with the the, the Late Show with Jay Leno. He was mm-hmm. just on with the Seth Meyers. Yeah, the Today Show. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's awesome. He's, his, his enthusiasm, he's an animal, is infectious. animal
1: education expert.
0: Yes. Yeah. So I, Angie and I are both are going to interview him. We are super excited for that too. So uh, again, uh, another great, great pod. Angie, uh, for the listeners, if you haven't, please subscribe, rate and review. Share with your friends. Try to get one person to subscribe. We'll love you forever. Yeah. And my voice didn't, wasn't too bad today. Hey,
1: no, not too snotty. You, you held it in.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. No. Okay. Thank you so much. We're growing because of you. We love our listeners. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. Bye bye. Listen. Learn. Share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.